Well, we are back again. I am uh, happy to... S- I, I don't guess I can see you all. I'm happy that you can hear us <laughs> and you can see us if you're watching on YouTube. I'm happy to see you all. Thank you. And <laughs> uh, we have a, a a great story ahead for you all and a story of encouragement. With us today is Mr. Billy Eldridge, and he yep. is the... Vice President of Operations at the Nashville Rescue Mission. So thank you for being here today, Billy. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Thank you. Are we saying a family connection or we're going to let that slide? I'm always about saying it. He might not want to own me, but it's actually my uncle. So thank you for coming. I've got a wonderful nephew. <laughs> he says that on the camera. I was going to say, what? how much How much did you pay him walking up here? Uh, he's twice the man I was at his age. <laughs> so we're, we're going to jump right into it because this is a great story. So, Billy, why don't you just start with uh, your, your story here? Okay. Um, I'm from South Louisiana. Um, just grew up normal childhood um, pretty much in – South Louisiana is like another country, um, at least it was when I was growing up, and uh, alcohol, drugs, was pre- pretty prevalent, and um, anyway, I started using recreationally, um, probably at about 12 or 13, and did that, um, and I mean, I, I went to school, graduated high school, went to college, I didn't finish college, but went to work. I was always a hard worker, uh, always made good money. Um, I ran the television department for a thoroughbred racetrack. So anyway, I was pretty successful, you know, making, uh, you know, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 in the 80s, uh, which is fairly good money. And um, I started smoking crack when I was about 31. And in three years, uh, lost everything. Um, my home, my vehicles, my job, my family. Um, that process, if you cared about me, uh, I brought pain into your life. You know, I was just uh, um, consumed by the drug. And um, I came to Nashville. My mother had moved up here and. Uh, my aunt went to church with, uh, uh, back then we called them counselors, a counselor at the rescue mission. And my mom had been bugging me, been bugging me to come up here to get some help. And I just resisted till I had no other opportunities, no other open doors. Um, I'm about 225 now. I was like 140 pounds when I got to Nashville. Wow. Yeah. So um, came into the mission. And uh, I didn't come to find the Lord. Uh, I came to try and find a way to be happy and not be high. I knew high was killing me, and it was hurting everyone that I said I loved. So um went to the Nashville Rescue Mission, and uh, was there a couple of weeks. And uh, just could notice with the staff and some of the men that were in the program, there was there was a, a light about them, an attractiveness about them. You know, they said they used to do the things I was doing, and they didn't do them anymore. They were happy. I mean, they were genuinely happy. So um didn't even know if God was real. I just called out to him, and 
no bells or whistles went off, but he, uh, he met me, you know, he saved me, um, slowly he gave me a, started to give me an understanding of his word, and, um, went through the classes, uh, finished the mission, the program was three months then, and, uh, the mission had a transitional house, which is the mission's version of a halfway house that, uh, they offered to some of the people that um, graduated, um, and I came on staff. Uh, had originally planned just to work six months, and uh, here we are now, 21 years later. <laughs> Went to the mission to try and find a way to be happy and not be high, and uh, I mean, God just gave me a, a life. I wasn't, I wasn't a man, I wasn't a... Um, I found purpose for my life at the mission. Um, I had destroyed everything. My wife divorced me um, three weeks after I got into the program. And it took uh, over a year, but uh, he restored my marriage. My little girl was three months old, uh, three years old when I was in the program. And I just, I knew I was never going to have anything to do with her. And, uh, you know, being able to raise her, she's 20. Five now. Uh, she's got a little boy. She's pregnant, fixing to have a little girl. <laughs> um, God restored everything that I destroyed. Um, and I, I didn't, when I was in the program, I didn't even pray that way. I mean, I did everything a man could do to destroy his marriage, except beating her. I, I was never physically abusive, but everything else. I mean, that was too hard for God to restore that. And when he did that, I mean, it just blew me away. Um, I remember praying when I was in the program that the Lord put a good man in their lives to be a good father to my daughter and a good husband to my wife, never dreaming that it would be me. Wow. Mm. So going back a little bit, when you were still in Louisiana, how did you... What was the decline or the progression from recreational drugs to hard drugs and the crack for you? How, what was that journey? I mean, it was almost immediate. Um, I did a little marijuana. I did a little pills. I drank. Um, but I was still functioning. I mean, it, it, was, it was more than just weekends, but it wasn't constant. Um, once I started smoking crack, it was constant. Um, the other drugs just went aside, and uh, the addiction to the crack just took over. And was that influenced from your friend group at the time, or just no. just, just something that you, you fell into on your own? Um, I don't really know how I started, um, but I was much more—I would use much more socially— before, when it started with crack, it was isolating, hiding, um, being selfish. It didn't want to share. Um, it was consuming. You know, I always, I always say if I ever served the Lord the way I served that drug, I mean, I'll be on fire. You're going to see me on TV. 
we're we're going to see you all over the, the world on this podcast now. No, but I mean, you know, stay up three days reading the Bible. I did that, you know. Yeah. Um, run out of gas on the way to church. I never did that. You know, with money in your pocket. Mm. Um, I've done that to get that drug. You know, not didn't want to put twenty more dollars in the tank. You know, because it would take away from your yeah. Just yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I experienced it. I did it. But when I talk about it, and when I think back, it was like with somebody else. I mean, I, you know, it was crazy the things that I put ahead of my family. You know, I just I can't believe I did it. I know I did it. Yeah. Um, I just can't believe the lie that I bought into. And you said your sister lived here? Um, my my sister did, but my mom um, moved up here. Okay. And uh, my mom actually drove to Louisiana a couple of times just to try to get me to come back here to get help. She, you know, my dad and everybody else was telling her, he's going to wind up dead. Something's mm. going to kill him. You know, uh, she... I just remember waking up one morning. She's on the side of the bed, you know, just tears rolling down her face, wanting me to come up here to get some help. And I'm, I'm fine, Mom. Don't, it's all right. And she knows better, you know. She's just worried about her boy. How long? How long was that? Like in between where you were and when you finally came? Like, well, how many years was that? Do you? I know. It, it, I'd use, it wasn't quite, it was probably about two and a half years of using. Okay. Um, Is that from starting the recreational or? No, no, that's just the started crack. crack. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. In two and a half years, I had no open doors. I okay. mean, um, the more anyone would try and help me, the more they enabled me to run further. Hmm. Um, so uh, they were. They weren't doing it intentionally, but they were prolonging what God wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I see that every day where I work. Mm-hmm. Um, you're hungry, I'll feed you. I'm not giving you any money. So when you came to Nashville, your mom, your mom brought you up here. Were you living with her? Were you on the streets, or where, where were you when you came here? When I first came up, I, I stayed with her, um, but not very long. Um, within a month, I had, uh, went to the mission. I worked a little bit and, um, yeah, I was out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so went to the, uh, into the program and, um, the program to, for me, um, I say this all the time. To, to the guys and the girls that are in the program now, you know, they're antsy and wanting to leave and the other thing. It's kind of like high school, just in the midst of it. It's no fun. But, I mean, once, once you finish it, you look back on it with, you know, you can see where you were at, what you were doing, and what God did. Um, our days, we live we live our days one day at a time, so it's hard to see progress. But when you when I think back to a year ago, what I was doing or for the guys in the program a month ago, you know, what they're doing now. Um, 
God just, uh, I get to see them at work. And oftentimes they don't see it in themselves, and I didn't see it in, in me. Yeah. Um, God put some really good men in my life, and women, and uh, it just blessed me. There's nothing like this in South Louisiana, nothing like Natural Rescue Mission. Um, there's some smaller ministries and whatnot, but uh, nothing like Middle Tennessee. Addicts are, once you get clean, it's one day at a time staying clean. But what was your trigger? What caused you to relapse? Um, or was it just, what was there a trigger? I don't remember that. Um, I would say selfishness, the flesh. Mm. Um, well, after the first time, did you even have, did you have a mindset of staying? Or was it like, nope, once I'm done, I'm going back to Louisiana. That's where everyone's at, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I got on a plane day after I graduated. So I was planning on going back home. Um, but after going through the second time, I had my mind set up. I wasn't. Um, I don't have any using experience up here. You know, all of my friends are from work or from church or from um, South Louisiana was Egypt for me. Now, I feel like I could go back there now. Mm-hmm. But initially, uh, I obviously wasn't strong enough. All of my friends down there are friends from using yeah. all the places. I, I know where to go. You know right. what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that was Egypt for me. So when you moved back to Louisiana and you relapsed, what what caused you to come back? Did you just do that on your own? or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just... Um, I knew the Lord when I relapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, something happened that wasn't happening the first time. Just mm-hmm. scripture pounding in my head. God didn't make you for this. I didn't make you to live this way. He, you know, He freed you from this stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. He, um. So yeah. When you look back now, can you see? God in your life or directing you or carrying you or keeping you safe while you were using before you came to know him before you came to Nashville the first time, maybe there are friends that didn't use near as bad as me that are no longer here. Um, I put myself in positions I should not have come out of. I mean, I I remember thinking this and I don't remember how, how, a person could think this, but I remember going to get crack with no money, thinking that dying is not going to be as bad as not scoring. Wow. wow. You know, that's insane. Mm-hmm. With a beautiful wife and a gorgeous little girl at home, and daddy's out on the streets doing that stuff. You know, just nuts. Um, crack cocaine is as close as you can come to holding the devil in your hand. I mean, I I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't want to have nothing to do with anybody that wants anything to do with it. Um, I I couldn't say that when I first finished the program. I mean, I I, uh, I you. After years, um, you come to a point where you hate it because of the way you worshiped it. You know, I hate that stuff. 
So when someone finishes the program, what's the next step for them? Is there placement opportunities that you all do, or, or are they pretty much on their own to do what they want? No, no. Uh, everyone who graduates, there's uh, 40, um, we call it a transitional house, but there's 40 rooms. They're uh, like nice efficiency apartments um, that a person can go into up to 18 months. It's uh, mm. the missions version of a halfway house. They don't have to, um, but they have that opportunity. Um if they do stay with us, there's continued drug testing, um, counseling. Uh, they have to have a rising bank account or be paying restitution or court costs or back child support. They, they need to be progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, like I said, they can stay there up to 18 months. And they're, in some cases, if someone's got a large amount of debt, they can stay even longer. Mm-hmm. So the program can be, you know, multiple years. Do you make them pay, like, a rent or anything like that just to show, like, that kind of thing? The mission doesn't charge for anything. That's awesome. That's great. That is great. What about requirements? Are there requirements to get in for someone to get into the program? You have to be fairly self-sufficient. I mean, you've got to be able to climb the stairs. You've got to be able to get in the top bunk. Um, willingness is, is, is it. I mean, it's voluntary. Um, every now and then I'll hear a guy say, this place is like prison. <laughs> Burns me up. <laughs> it's nothing like prison. The door's locked from the outside. You can get up at any time and go. You can't get back in. You know, um, thousands and thousands of people give $20 a month to the Lord so that you can take advantage of this opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. the Lord had that kind of been back on their life to bless somebody like me when I didn't deserve it. And how many how many people get into the program? How often do you start? Um, I mean, we'll, we do intakes every day. If you come, if you come, um, usually Monty has some phone interviews or whatnot uh, ahead of time if they're coming, especially if they're coming from a distance. Yeah, they do intake Monday through Friday every day. Um, there's about, I think there's about 60, 65 uh, men in the program proper. Another 30, something like that, in the transitional house. So it's running, I guess, about 100 on the men's side, probably around 40 on the women's side. Right now, the men and the women are all under one roof, aren't they? They are. We... Um, does that draw any concern, or do you all feel like you all have that pretty well under control? <laughs> we do. We uh, put a lot of plan, a lot of time into planning, and this is not the first time we've done this. About okay. about uh, eight years ago, there was a remodel of the. It might have been even longer than that, but anyway, the the women um, came over, and we uh, just moved um, a lot of our storage. We lost. We moved the men's recovery program uh, to another floor, mm-hmm. and were able to accommodate the women. It's it's different. It's uh, kind of cool. You don't see many. Didn't, I didn't see. wasn't able to see the children, babies uh, mm-hmm. at the men's campus very much. Um, but yeah, we're building a, a twenty million dollar new facilities for the women and the children. That's awesome. And yeah, we're looking 
looking forward to it. So women who have children bring them with them. They don't get taken to by child services or anything like that? No. No, if the mother's able to take care of her children. So what other programs does the Nashville Rescue Mission have? I mean, they have this recovery program. What else? Um, they have, uh, there's uh, another program called Pathways, which is um, back in 2010, 2011, the quickest growing uh, population at the rescue mission were um, not having to deal with they were it was for economic reasons not addiction or mm. um, life choices so uh, it was right after the crash a lot of people lost their jobs or we came up with a, with a program it's called pathways um, which is uh, it's only three months in length um, you someone doesn't if they're only there for economic reasons, then um, they have to have a full-time job. They're allowed to stay three months, same place, same beds, um, free of charge. And they just they need to be working towards getting out. So um, they'll have a caseworker and um, have to have a rising bank account, have to have an exit plan. We've we've done work here at our church, and I know many other churches have also with Room in the Inn, bringing um, people in. I don't, is that for men and women? Is that program for men and women or just men? Uh, room in the Inn, I, I I think it's for both, but I'm not sure. That's uh, that's that's not part of the rescue mission. They are neighbors, and they're a wonderful ministry. Um, I, See, I, I thought that was I thought that was another outreach of the the mission, the Nashville Rescue Mission. No, oh, well, we there you go, learn something. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll we'll house seven hundred and fifty people tonight under our roof. Wow, uh, well, men, women, and children. But that's not just people that that are in that in that program, though. That's that's the people in the program, no. including the the homeless right. that are in Nashville. Right. I mean, if you were asking about programs, we're a large homeless shelter with a life recovery program as part of it. Um, so there's 400 men and another 170 uh, women and children staying with us that are just there for emergency services. Um, place to sleep, place to eat, clothes. Uh, toiletries. Um, there are case managers. We try and do uh, job placement. Um, work with them to get housing. Um, we're 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 trying to uh, trying to help them move out. Um, you know, if they don't need a life recovery program, they, they just try to connect them with other services, housing, medical. Um, IDs. Someone's homeless, they come to the mission. What percentage of those people want help and what percentage? That might be a hard question. I know it's a guess maybe, but how many of those people just their life is the street they don't want to get off, but they come in to get out of the cold or get a meal or something? Um, I would say that's low. I don't I don't I don't think anybody grows up choosing to well, I'm going to grow up and go live at the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly there are a, a small population that are, um, uh, that are not, um, 
trying to do anything to change their situation, but a mm-hmm. uh, large part, um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, a lot of them have, uh, little jobs, daytime jobs or, uh, whatnot. Um, cause I think that may be a misconception that a lot of people have that, you know, cause you may see the same person on the street corner you pass every day asking for money or something and you think none of these people who are homeless want help they just are gonna ask ask for a handout and stay where they are but but it's not really like that it, it i i wouldn't if you're saying how many people wouldn't like to change them circumstances i'm saying that percentage is very low mm-hmm. there's obviously a large portion large portion of them that are um I don't want to say, tr- well, for a be- lack of a better, I was trapped. If I'd had enough money, I would have smoked until I died. Wow. Mm. I mean, I would have. Um, all of my resources uh, were spent on that drug. And if I could have, I would have, you know, I would have smoked till I died. And, and I, I wasn't far. It wasn't, I didn't have much time left. Um, so addiction is powerful. Um, when people come to the end of their rope, it's different for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, some people don't make it out. What is, I know you said that you still do devotions there. Um, as far as the program, what is like, like, like a day? What, what, what does that consist of? I know it's kind of probably tailored to the, your basic day in life recovery program is you wake up at six, mm. eat breakfast at six thirty. You're in uh, uh, morning devotion from seven thirty to eight. You're in group counseling from eight to eight thirty. If you don't have a high school diploma, you're in HSC classes from nine to eleven. If you okay. do have a high school diploma, you, you're going to spend four hours of chores a day. Okay. In some support of the ministry, either okay. in the kitchen or cleaning or tutoring or on the grounds. Okay. So 9 to 11, if you do have your high school diploma, you'll be on chores. Okay. And then uh, you'll be in core class. Well, then you'll eat lunch, 11 okay. to 11.30. You'll be in core class from 12 to 2. Then another two hours of lunch, say, from 2 to 4. Um, after that, you'll eat dinner. Um at five, you'll have evening chapel at six thirty, okay. and your free time at seven thirty to nine thirty. Okay. Lights out. So they've got a sixteen-hour day. Yeah, it's uh, definitely staying busy. Yeah, yeah, it's not club med. Um, but but that's to give them some structure, right? Is that what it's yes. designed for? Yes, and also in all of that, there's one-on-one counseling. Okay. There's uh, um, if you, like I said, if you don't have a high school diploma, mm-hmm. you'll have HSC. That's huge for some of our men mm-hmm. and women to be able to get that. And we've even had people in the community come and take classes to, uh, um, we're certified to be able to do the classes and cool. give them out. Um, there are computer classes, there are CDL classes, there's library and there's, um, job training, job readiness, um, yeah, they're busy. Now, is that a Monday through Friday schedule, or is that seven days a week? Uh, that's Monday through Friday. Um, on the weekend, 
they're still have a devotion. They'll still have a chapel at night, um, and they'll still have a chore on one of those days. They'll be off either Saturday or Sunday. And the longer you go through the program, the more privileges you get. The first month, you're restricted to property. Next month, you'll have a three-hour weekend pass. Next month, six hours, and so on. Um, the further you get, the more privileges you get. And then after, usually from gateway to the first six phases is about seven months. So at that point, you can extend in the program proper or you can graduate and then go into the TH or go home. Um, and that that's, I would say that percentage is about 60-40, um, usually 60% um, return to where they're from um, or their wives or their families and uh, get back to work. And about 40% will go into the transitional house. So those that extend into the program at, at the end of that seven months, how long are they allowed to stay? Does it vary by person and circumstance, or is it kind of a set thing? It does. If, if, a, if a person feels like they're not ready, um, when I went through the program the second time, it was a three-month program. I stayed in the program four months. I didn't didn't. I didn't feel I was ready to get get back to work and have money in my pocket, um, and I wanted to make sure I was. I wanted to make sure this was the last time. Right. Um, so uh, th- that doesn't happen very often. Uh, it's not very often that someone's not ready to graduate upon graduation. Yeah, and I think obviously the people running this program have learned extending from three months to six months. That kind of thing, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, the program's actually two years. Um, at, at the there's there's a celebration at the end of seven months, but to finish the program, um, you're going through the program and you're not working. It's to put the things that you learned in the first seven months into practice. Gotcha. Um, so it's it's actually they recommend a fi- at least a five month stay in the transitional house so it's a, a year-long program yeah. which, which i should have said well that that's awesome like volunteers and stuff like that do y'all do volunteers just contact you to come in is there special times i know like holidays like thanksgiving i know that yes what's that process um, like as far as like a volunteer wanting to come in and help a lot of it used to be done on the phone now. Okay. Um, you can just go to our website. They have a tab on there, get involved. Okay. You click on that, you fill out a little uh, questionnaire. And because we have the women and children in the building, mm-hmm. now we're doing a background check. Gotcha. Um, so we just we run the background check, we contact you back, and then open up the calendar to you. Okay. You click on the day you want, time you want. Just come on in. And that's uh, 365 days a year. And what are the some of the things people can volunteer to do? Um, serve meals, uh, prepare meals, sort clothing, sort toiletries, uh, paint, cut grass. We'll put you to work. I'm the vice president of operations, so maintenance is under that. Um, 
volunteerism is under that. Mm-hmm. Gifts in kind, in other words, physical donations, all the clothing, food, all of that is in operations. Uh, work therapy, which is the work that the clients do mm-hmm. under their program. What else I finished? Oh, kitchen ministries are both under operations, food service. So all of the all the physical activities of the mission fall mm-hmm. under operations. We I say that the mission exists to spread the gospel. That's our purpose. And the operations team tries to take care of all the physical necessities of life. You know, the water, the lights, the food, the clothing, the toiletries, uh, serving all those things so that the other uh, more important process of evangelism can take place. We want we want to have we want to be the employer of choice, charity of choice, and the provider of choice. We want we want to clean the building in such a way that people want to come and stay at the mission. Mm-hmm. We want to cook the meals in such a way that people want to come and eat at the mission in order to have an opportunity to spread the gospel. Now, is this owned or run by the city of Nashville, or is it a private organization? It's a nonprofit private organization. Okay. And so that's how – is that how you can be Jesus-focused and gospel-focused when doing that? Yes. Citizens and uh, corporations uh, and churches – that uh, send their money, and I, I didn't realize that he went to Parkway because I mean I've I've been to this church several times. The first job I had at the mission was uh, a driver. I would uh, mm. pick up donations, and we've been picking up pies from Parkway <laughs> Baptist Church <laughs> at Thanksgiving forever. Yeah. Um, y'all cook an awesome amount of pies. Well, that, that's what we serve for Thanksgiving is. Homemade pies because Parkway and two other churches, um, that's their thing. Yeah. I got another question for people that finish the program, decide to go home or wherever they decide to go. Are there resources or, or things you try to give them to take with them? Or if they're leaving, let's say they're going to another city or another state, do you try and connect them with something in the place they're going? Um, now there's a huge focus while they're in the program about church. Um, the men and women who are successful when they leave the mission are in church. They're, uh, they're in church and they're working. Um, I credit all, all of my success to, uh, getting in church and getting busy. Uh, Brother Overton was a teacher when I was in the program. That's what he said. You get in church, boy, and get busy. <laughs> don't, don't tell that preacher that you want to preach. You sweep the floors. You you be faithful with what God gives you, and more will be added. Great advice. Great awesome. advice. The um, The new facility, is it going to be close to where you are now, or is it in the same uh, the women's campus is up, uh, about four miles from the men's campus. Okay. It's, it's going to be built on the exact same place where it was. Okay. So um, we just we were able to scrape the ground and start mm-hmm. new. That's awesome. We, yeah, we, they did a renovation. 
I tell you that, and um, uh, when we they were deciding what to do, whether to renovate it again mm-hmm. or start from new, and I'm, I'm operation, so I'm the one. Well, my department's the one that has to work in the kitchen and fix mm-hmm. the plumbing. And I said, I'll bring half them women and children to my house while they build it. <laughs> if, we, if we can scrape the ground, we want to. I mean, we, what we had was was wonderful at its mm-hmm. time but um just so grateful the generosity of this community is just blew me away i mean i just you just can't believe that a ministry of that size mm-hmm. you know can be supported by this community they're just uh um generous i mean it just is in another word you know the effect that jesus has in the life of people to give um, it's just amazing, and uh, I mean, makes you want to be that type of person. To bring it back to you, your personal story a little bit. When you finally came through the program the second time, everything stuck, and you were working the program. What was the reconciliation like with your wife and your daughter? And how long did kind of a two part question? How long did that take, and did she know Jesus at that time? Yes. Um, one of the things that first attracted me to my wife was she was a believer. Um, I wasn't. Um, if she wasn't a believer, she never could have got past you know, my past. Right. Um, it took... It took some time, um, and after I went through the second time, I knew I wasn't going back to Louisiana. And she's a beautiful Cajun girl, and never lived anywhere else her whole life. Um, and it took a it took took a year, um, but she decided to you know to come up and to bring my little girl was so young, she did you know she didn't know mm-hmm. who Daddy was. You know, I'm very grateful for that. Um, uh, just those are the best things in my life. I mean, uh, my wife um, is twice the man I am. Yeah, she's a good girl. You mean that in a compliment, in a good way? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, uh, I mean, I made much more money than her, and. She had to hide the milk money, you know. She mm-hmm. had to hide the babysitting money. Mm-hmm. I was a ball and chain to my family. Um, yeah, thank, thank God she uh, uh, she carried us, you know. What what advice would you give to someone who may hear this who's struggling through addiction anywhere along that? that struggle where they're they're just starting out or they're in the middle of the deepest darkest hole or they're trying to come out and they're struggling going back and forth um god can do anything anything um god can do anything i I know uh, i remember feeling hopeless um and i remember feeling you know how strong those the draw was, the addiction was, and uh, just uh, 
uh, I I felt trapped. I felt uh, I would never get out. Um, but God made a way, you know. Uh, and, and there's nothing special about Billy, you know. He does it over and over. I get to see it happen every day. Um, God will not only, uh, God will give you a reason to live. Uh, you know, you'll find, I had no meaning in my life. There was no purpose to it before. Yeah, I was busy. I had night stuff. I had money. Um, but just no purpose. I mean, I love going to work every day. Love coming home every night. Um, you know, God has been very, very good to me. Um, and he will do his part if you do yours. Um, anyone seeking help, um, they can, they can call me. 615-584-3166. Don't edit that out. Um, and I'll, I'll plug you in with Monty. We'll, we'll get you some help. And what's uh, also the website for the Nashville Rescue Mission? It's uh, NashvilleRescueMission.org. So reach out to them if you need help, but also if you are looking to serve and help, mm-hmm. reach out. And uh, great opportunity to show the love of Jesus to people who, who are struggling and and uh, trying to get help. So. Billy, thank you so much for coming. This is an absolute great story, and we appreciate you sharing that with with everyone. And um, you tell it tell it well. I know it wasn't easy, maybe (laughs) sometimes in in the past, but man, it's a great story and a great example for others who are going through through the same thing. Absolutely. And if someone else is hearing that story, you know, and they're going through the same things, that there's always someone else out there that's doing the same thing you're doing. So it's not just you, you know. I didn't know if God was real. Um, so, you know, I cried out to him. And um, then uh, the, the guy that led me to the Lord told me to start reading in uh, the New Testament, Matthew, read through Revelation, then go to Genesis and read through the whole Bible. That's what I started doing. I, I'd never read the Bible before. And... Uh, God gave me a love for words that I never had before, um, in particularly his word. Um, and I remember one of the scriptures was, you'll know my, you'll know my disciples by the fruit that they bear. For a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Bad tree can't produce good fruit. And I've seen no fruit in my life. I'm in Music City. There are guys in the program that could sing wonderful or play uh, instruments. Um so that became a point of prayer for me, and I started writing poems. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share the first one I wrote. It's called uh, it's called Mission Man, and it's just a poem of gratitude to the, the place and the men he used to bring me to faith. From Lafayette to Nashville, I traveled one summer day. A broken man inside, I'd been crushed in every way. Satan turned me upside down and emptied all my joy. This man that stands before you is then a frightened little boy. He ravaged through my life and stole everything of value that I cherished. To my beautiful daughter and loving wife, I was branded a failure doomed to perish. From Nashville to Pleasantview, I traveled one summer day. I came to meet three mission men who helped others find their way. They told me when to work 
and they tell me when to pray. They tell me what to eat. They tell me where to lay. They said they too were lost, but it was a long, long time ago. They planted a seed inside of me. God caused that seed to grow. They sparked a flame within my heart that burns brighter every day. Where once was empty darkness is filled with life today. I'm grateful to these mission men who all three act as one. For uniting me with my father and with his precious son. I thank God for the roses, Floyd Boggs and Clay King. Why aren't you men smiling? Can't you feel our spirit sing? I praise God for the Nashville mission and for putting these men on board. For when this world is over, great is their reward. Now wake up in dorm one. Lights on in old dorm two. Brothers, I pray you realize that theirs is our mission too. God's called us to be a witness, to continue the work these men began. I pray the day I meet my Lord, he calls me a mission man. From Nashville to who knows where, I'll travel one fall day. I know not where I'm going, but I know Jesus is the way. Wow. That is awesome. It's amazing. We need to uh, get a framed, cop- framed copy of that and uh, put that on the shelf. That needs yeah. to needs to fill one of the bookshelves here. Yeah, so. for sure. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to Ryan. Yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. That's Thank great. you for sharing that. So we end every episode with with a Bible verse, and I think we'll we'll go with the one that you shared already. How about Second Samuel twenty two seven? In my distress, I call to the Lord. And I cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cries did enter his ears. Just like that, God is bigger than we can imagine, but he created us, and he hears us when we speak to him, and there's nothing better than than, than that. So we, we thank him for that. And right. Billy, we thank you. Thank you for coming and yep. sharing, and, and it's an awesome story, and uh uh, I am so glad that that uh, God chased after you and you turned and found him as well. Uh, right. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you like and subscribe. You can reach out to us, podcast at parkwaybc.net, and uh, we will see you guys again next week. Thank you for listening to GPS to God. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you happen to listen or watch. And make sure you turn on the notifications so you know when new episodes air.